You're listening to It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. I'm Kyle Hawk. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com. Um, glad to have you. It is officially spring. Hope you uh, enjoyed our last podcast. We talked about the Kanye madness bracket, uh, which was completely ridiculous, but I had so much fun with it. I'm, I'm st- the bracket is still here in front of me. I'm still going back and going back through it. I'm an insane person, but uh, ho- hopefully the conversation was fun for all of you. We've got a really fun conversation today. Uh, an amazing guest, someone I'm personally inspired by as a writer and really excited to chat with is Shea Serrano of The Ringer. And last year he released his second New York Times bestseller, Basketball and Other Things, which followed up 2014's The Rap Yearbook. Shay, thank you so much for joining me today. What up, boy? Well, I, you know, if you follow Shay at all, whether it be Twitter, The Ringer, elsewhere, you know he's a busy guy. Uh, it almost seems impossible how much content he cranks out. And we got to chat briefly after a panel at South by Southwest a few weeks ago, and he was kind enough to come on the podcast. So we're really grateful to have him. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a, a number of different things today. But first off, 2017 was another big year for you. The book was a huge success. Barack Obama listed it as one of his uh, favorite reads of the year. Has all this like sunk in for you, or is it just like a process of continually sinking in of like shit? This is this is real. <laughs> it it has all sunk in, man. I think about it all day, every day. It's a lot to like understand. Um, so I spend a lot of time trying to do that. So yeah, it's in there. Well, I think I saw you mention recently on Twitter that you were officially out of the book game. Is that? an official statement or are you just acknowledging the peace and quiet that comes after the grind of uh, writing another book? No, I'm out forever, man. Books are terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, they're great, but I don't want to write another one. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. You know, basketball and other things was fantastic. And I, I know you've been talking a lot about that book lately, but since this is a music podcast, we're going to, you know, and we love hip hop here. I want to backtrack a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the rap yearbook and, and talk about rap in 2018. Um, before we get into that, you know, last year there was an announcement that the uh, rap yearbook was going to be coming as an AMC documentary. I want to check in on that. Uh, how involved are you in that? And is there an expected air date for when that will come out? I believe it's going to air at the end of this year sometime in the winter. I believe that's what it is. It might be this of next year or something but yeah that's where it is and as far as involvement now they are mostly running with it i get a phone call every so often and i you know i check in or i ask a couple of questions and they answer them or they ask me a couple of questions and i answer them and uh that's how it goes mostly i do is just like i don't understand how to make a documentary good so i'm just going to let you all do what you do and i'll just trust that it's going to work out very cool. Well, we're looking forward to it. Uh, it's been a few years now since the rap yearbook came out. How are you feeling about the genre and where the genre is at in 2018? I know that, you know, the, the, the music angle is kind of an important thing for you. How are you feeling at this point? Uh, I still love rap. It's great. I don't understand. I see it less and less. Thankfully, people are saying like, oh, rap is terrible nowadays or whatever. Like, that's stupid. No, it's not. And rap is great right now. You just got old, and you, uh, you like to remember the stuff from when you were a kid. But listening to music now, it's, it's a great deal of fun, and there's 
you can find any kind of music you want to listen to, you know. Like, let's say you only do, genuinely, you only enjoy 90s rap. Mm-hmm. There's a person out there who's making exactly the kind of music you want to listen to. It's just on you to find it. So I can stop whining about it and go find what you want to listen to. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, the the rap your book ends with you kind of awarding the the song for 2014, a few years have passed. Have you mentally awarded the most important rap song for 2015, 16, and 17? Um, I know 2015 is All Right by Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And I'm not sure about 16 and 17. Probably 16 is, I would, I would likely pick some sort of like religious song. Mm. Not, not like a, not like Lecrae. That, not that type of religious, I mean like one that talks about it without being it, like a chant song or ultralight beam or something like that. And for 17, I don't know, maybe maybe Cardi B, maybe Bodak, that's a fun one. Yeah, those are those are all great picks. And, you know, you mentioned Kendrick for, for 2015. Um, obviously, he's somebody that like any year that he puts out an album, he's going to be in the conversation. And I want to talk a little bit, kind of like the, I guess the crux of the conversation today being competition in hip hop. And, uh, you know, back during the, the Jay Z and Nas beef, Jay had said, you know, rap is a competitive sport. And historically, competition has been like a, a really central driving force in hip hop as an art form. But the, the thing with Kendrick is he eviscerated his competition like so emphatically on control that he really hasn't had a true rival. Um, and of course, he's still been pushing himself to greatness. He's put out, three incredible albums in a row, obviously. Um, for Kendrick, is it something that he's benefited from not having a rival or would he be better served to have somebody? Like when we, when we look back years from now, we think, man, you know, if Kendrick had had like a, an equal, a counterpart kind of pushing him, who knows what could have happened? Yeah, I think he's one of the people who, who, I have to explain this. All right. If you talk about, like, the greatest of all time, like, if we're just talking about the greatest basketball player of all time, you go, like, okay, well, Jordan, but it's not a guy that most people say is the greatest of all time. Who was his rival? But he was so good that he just didn't have one. There were others who were trying, for sure. Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, so on and so forth. But none of them got, were able to get to his level. So even though people were coming for him, it just seemed like they weren't there because they weren't as good as him. Same with LeBron. Like, who's LeBron's rival mm. over the last 12 years? He hasn't had one because he's just been so good. I think that's the situation we're seeing with Kendrick where he is several levels better than basically everybody else. And even if people are trying to beat him, they just can't. So it seems like he doesn't have a rival. So there you there you go. I mean, it would, it would, of course, be wonderful if somebody showed up and they were making music as good as him and then they got into an argument of some sort and started going after each other. But I don't think he he needs that to, to like, broaden his legacy or anything. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I guess to come at it from another angle, you know, if we look back through hip-hop, you, you for me, I can almost identify different eras of the genre's progression with two particular people that were kind of at odds or two rivals and competition certainly is something that has uh, 
been, I mean, you know, obviously there's been good and bad, but it certainly provides a certain narrative for different eras of the genre. Does it, does it hurt hip hop as a whole to not have some sort of rivalry like that right now? Or is it okay to just have Kendrick as like this guy we point to as the greatest rapper alive, but also there's these other guys that are really fun, like, you know, Chance, Cardi B and whoever else. Yeah, it's fine. We don't, you don't need that all the time. When you start trying to make those things happen is when they are less meaningful. If they happen, they happen. If they don't, it's fine. You don't need it. Yeah. Well, going back to the rap yearbook, my favorite chapter in the book was the, on 2001 where you're pitting Ether against the takeover. And, you know, speaking of competition, this is probably one of our, maybe the last great, you know, hip hop competition. Um, and there's arguments to be made on both sides on the, on the winner of that. Uh, but I wanted to ask, can we confidently say at this point that Jay-Z woke Nas from, I guess, what was kind of a late 90s slumper? Um, you know, I, I certainly consider I Am to be a great album, but people kind of differ on, on where Nas was at coming out of Illmatic with the next three albums. But you can, there's definitely no arguing Stillmatic and Godson, in my opinion, as great albums. Do you think that that, that that rivalry kind of brought Nas back and pushed him to a level that we're, you know, obviously grateful that it happened? I'm sure that it helped a small percentage, but if you're talking about you're coming off of what very well may be the greatest rap album of all time in Illmatic, you can't expect somebody to do that seven times in a row. Right. It just doesn't, have, it doesn't work like that. So if that's the starting point, of course the next few are going to not be that. And then you put a couple of those out, and then uh, when you're at that level, then you're like, okay, I can get a little bit better again, and it'll be fine. Because if he had put out Godson after Illmatic, it would have just been like, well, this isn't that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so I'm sure I, you know, gave him a little bit of energy, pumped him up a bit. It certainly helped with with name recognition. Jay Z was this global guy at the, by then, and or he was be, he was already becoming that. And everybody assumed he was the greatest. And then here's this other guy who, if you weren't like into rap, you maybe didn't know a ton about Nas. And this guy is sort of pulling Jay-Z's legs off in front of everybody. And you go, oh shit, this is, this is great. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because, you know, this beef kind of happened at a pivotal time for hip hop when a lot of hip hop was kind of crossing over into mainstream consciousness. So now you'll hear people like I'll, I'll see people on the all the time, like on Twitter. I saw somebody yesterday talking about Omatic that it just like totally shocked me that they listened to Omatic or knew about that album. But, right. you know, this beef was one of like ideologies at a time when hip hop was changing in terms of how people viewed it and thought about it. And I almost wonder if that whole rivalry didn't bring Nas with Jay-Z into that mainstream consciousness so that he's talked about now in a way that maybe he wouldn't be if that hadn't happened. Yeah, definitely. If that doesn't happen, Nas's name doesn't quite ring out with the same sort of bigness that it does now. I mean, now he's up, you know, you, you have to talk about him when you're talking about the best that have ever done it. And if he doesn't have that beef and with Jay-Z, then maybe that's not so much the case. And not because of merit, obviously nothing changed with the music, but just because of like, overall brand building and, and legacy and what he became attached to. After the, when the beef was going on, it became clear, like, okay, Jay-Z is arguing for the business side and the get money side, and Nas is arguing for the, the 
side of artistry. And if that doesn't happen, then maybe he's not attached to it like he should be. Yeah, definitely. You know, when Good uh, Good Kid Mad City came out for Kendrick, I immediately kind of started thinking about Kendrick and Nas as kind of like similar figures for their specific time in the genre. Um, but what's different is that as Kendrick's having his heyday, he's recognized widely, like across all music, like all music listeners, which is fascinating and also, also really awesome. Um, one of the things I think about is like the fact that hip hop kind of, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s gained that stranglehold on, you know, mainstream music. But it's still happening today in a way that like I don't think we see genres do over this course of time where like it's still relevant people are still really interested in it from a social perspective and the commentary and what's being said um i I just feel like i'm seeing that more and more and it's really i don't know for me it's encouraging to think that the way people are viewing hip-hop now and listening to hip-hop now at large is much different than it was like 10 20 years ago yeah definitely with and with regard to like a, a kendrick nas comparison that's the only reason that people outside of rap or whatever know Kendrick or, or are familiar with a lot of this music is because of rap right now today for the last several years has been the most popular form of music on the planet. So within rap in 1994 when Illmatic came out, everybody in rap knew who Nas was and that he had just created a very real masterpiece. When Kendrick put out Good Kid Mad City in 2012, I think. Was it 12, 13, something like that? Yeah. Well, yeah, when, when Kendrick put it out, rap was already the, the biggest music genre, so that's why everybody, even the people outside of rap, knew it and, and were talking about it. That's really the only the only difference. I, I don't think you can make the argument that Kendrick was better on Good Kid than Nas was on, on Elmatic. I think it's just a, a situational difference there. Sure. Yeah, so one of the things I, I guess, have been thinking about, and, and we've talked about a little bit on this podcast with a few different artists and genres, you know, thinking about rap's role in political discourse in 2018, because, you know, we talk about competition, hip-hop, but we can also go back and look at just the political voice that rap music has had over the years. I mean, even Nas or Public Enemy before him. What do you, How do you view hip-hop's role in this current state that we're in right now during the Trump administration and, and what hip hop has to say or the, the possibilities for what it could say. I think it is. I mean, obviously it's very important. It holds such a, you know, massive amount of clout with young people that if a rapper says a thing like that's something that needs to be taken serious. So if you're looking at it from like a, you know, a bird's eye view, that's, what you can get into um, on a smaller scale I think it's cool that we're seeing it again on like some public enemy type shit where where these conversations are happening more and more and they're becoming things that people are expecting like when Jay-Z sat out of the Super Bowl like that was a thing people found out he was invited they go I bet he's not gonna do it you know what I'm saying yeah. it's just it's, it's a thing that people are anticipating now and looking for so that's really, to me, very cool to see. I was that's why I think I was a little bit disappointed when Kendrick performed at the the national championship, mm-hmm. the college football one, and he didn't do a thing. Like everybody was expecting for him to do a thing. Trump was there, Kendrick was performing, 
you're like, oh, something cool is going to happen. He planned a thing. Even if he, like, even if on the business side he had to sign a thing where he agreed to not do a thing, if you felt like maybe something is going to happen, even a little thing, like a little subtle jab, and it never came, and it was like, well, that, you know, that was a, a feeling you maybe wouldn't have felt before, I don't know, when Bush was president, before Kanye had his George Bush doesn't care about black people moment. Yeah. Before then, you you weren't expecting for rappers to, like, that wasn't expected of them. They were doing it. They were definitely doing it, but it wasn't expected. So now we're at the level where it's expected, and if it doesn't happen, you're like, hmm, that's weird. Yeah, it's a really fine line to walk against that expectation of somebody versus, like, oh, this is a human being who's, like putting themselves out there in so many different ways. And so like kind of measuring that we have this expectation and we want for somebody to say something. So when it doesn't come, it almost feels strange or peculiar. Um, I, when I talk about, you know, like a rap album that's spoken to this time, I still think a lot about a tribe called quest coming back with thank you for your service a couple of years ago, which came out like the week after the election. And it felt like such a, in the moment, like powerful thing, one, to have tried back, and two, it felt like it was written knowing what was going to happen. Um, and it was just such a, I don't know, a powerful moment. What do you think the chances are that that album will be remembered as kind of the definitive album of the Trump era? I don't think it's very likely, mostly because they are they didn't show up popular enough at the time that it was able to get out outside of their like hardcore fan base. Um, like, I don't know. Can you name five of the songs on the album? Well, <laughs> no, you can't, right? And you're and you're saying that this maybe should be argued for the definitive out like that. It just doesn't work. Maybe when you get like ten years from now and people look back and they're trying to figure out was there one, somebody might bring that one up and everybody will go, oh yeah, that was that's a good one to pick for how people were feeling at the time. I think much more likely would be would be uh to pimp a butterfly i mean that came out before the before yeah. trump but it came out you know ideologically a lot of the similar stuff was already happening and already being talked about a part of a bigger conversation and then that out that's why that album showed up so i would probably pick something like that yeah no that's a good point and certainly that is uh one of the the great albums of uh of recent hip-hop you know, it's interesting of even thinking of it outside of just like an album. You think about Chance the Rapper, a guy who maybe his music isn't necessarily speaking as much as we would want to certain situations, but him as a person, as an individual, like what he's accomplishing and his involvement uh, in social issues and kind of the way that he's kind of, you know, taken up a, a lot of different things and has kind of been a huge voice. I mean, I, I almost see like that's something as we can look back of like, this person had a platform and maybe they didn't say it through the music, but they also use the opportunity to kind of speak that in a different way, you know? Yeah. I think that's a fair thing, a fair argument to put forward. Yeah. Well, uh, to kind of switch it up for a minute, one of my favorite parts about uh, basketball and other things is the discussion that uh, you had on NBA. What ifs, um, which is always a, a fun exercise uh, what do you consider to be some of the biggest what ifs in hip hop history? Uh, that's always harder to do in in something outside of sports or even movies, really, because 
with sports, you could be like, oh, what if somebody missed this shot? Like a thing didn't happen. Or what if a trade had gone through? Like what if Chris Paul went to the Lakers? Which was a very real thing that we were told was going to happen and then it didn't. With rap, it's a little, it feels a little more, maybe amorphous is the word, where it's just like, like trying to grab a cloud. Yeah. And you don't, you know, it's hard to, you can make any, what, what if Jay-Z made a gospel album or whatever? Like, what, you know, what are the, why, why are we doing that? Um, so for me, any of the great rap what ifs, I don't, uh, I don't know. I feel like you have some. That's why you teed up this conversation. So let me let's start with yours and then we'll go from there. Well, let me just throw one out there as an example. So this is one that we had like at least some concrete evidence that a thing was going to happen that didn't happen. So think about in the past couple of years, like Dr. Dre through the Straight Outta Compton film, uh, through the documentary they did, like he's kind of become this person now that people are looking to really interested in the, in the stories that he's had to tell and the stories he's telling now as a businessman. And obviously the soundtrack he did for Compton was really great. It was really well received, but it's easy now to forget about detox and you almost never hear people talk about it anymore. But for a while it was like, we were waiting for years for this album that never came and and still apparently exists somewhere but we're just never going to get to hear it. So I think about like what happens if detox comes out and it wasn't very good because some of the rumors were that maybe it wasn't going to be up to par with this other stuff. Are we having the conversations about Dr. Dre now, like with these kind of grand reflective things on him as a, an individual, as an artist and a businessman, if detox comes out and absolutely flops, you know? Yeah. I think you, de- you I think that today, we're talking about Dr. Dre, even if that album had come out, it wouldn't be any different. Having a bad album doesn't take away the stuff that you did do. Yeah. You know, you mentioned you mentioned the albums that came after Illmatic. It didn't erase Illmatic. It still existed. It didn't make it worse. Yeah. Um, if anything, it made it feel more special because he was able to make it. So, I, if we're, you know, if you say, well, what if Detox came out that wasn't that good? It'd be like, well, then that just means he had an album that wasn't that good. He was still like the most influential producer ever in rap. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, so I think you do something like that. Uh, A lot of the what ifs in rap are like super bummers. Like, what if Tupac didn't die or whatever? Like, that's just not, it's not near as fun to think about as, as basketball. No, that's a, that's a really great point. I, uh, I'm personally fascinated by the idea of, artistry in a sense of somebody like a Dr. Dre or a Kanye who makes something kind of the perfectionist mentality of like, I can't get this to this point that it has to be at for me to be able to like sleep at night. So it's just not going to happen. Nobody's going to hear it. Um, and of course that's something that happens across all genres, but in hip hop, I mean, there's really some compelling albums that never saw the light of day. Or even when you think back to like something like Yeezus and the the narrative we have around that is that, you know, within the final two days, there was a scramble that completely kind of overhauled the final product that we got. So then you think about, you know, if Rick Rubin doesn't step into that situation and provide that feedback, what kind of Yeezus do we get? Um, so th- for me, those are just the kind of things I think about in terms of like how it changes an artist's narrative. Um, because obviously what we got with Yeezus, we kind of consider at this point, even though it was weird when it came out, now people talk about it as maybe his greatest album. So um, in a way, you know, those things for me are just kind of like fun, nerdy, dumb things to think about. But yeah, I like to, I, I always, in those 
situations prefer to like either erase or add a moment in like for Kanye I wouldn't do like you know what if he never got the feedback from Rick Rubin for Kanye it would be more for me like what if he didn't interrupt Taylor Swift oh wow yeah at the MTV VMAs because if, if that happens he was very much on like in the middle of a spiral when all that was going on like it was some tough times not creatively or musically but just like in his life and after he interrupted Taylor and he got this massive backlash and then he made like his apology album with My Beautiful Dark Christmas Fantasy um, which was incredible and you know a lot of people say perfect um, but if he doesn't if he doesn't ever interrupt Taylor he just sits in the seat like what does Kanye look like after that um, how is music different? How are we remembering him? How do we remember? How differently do we remember Taylor Swift? Because she was sort of able to play that card for a long time, that white victim card, and so that, you know that's an interesting one for me. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I <laughs> I'm glad I got that out of you because that was a definitely the the, <laughs> the best one of the discussion, and it is really interesting, especially when you consider what drove Kanye down this hole that ended up in him creating my beautiful dark twist of fantasy. We probably don't get that album without that moment. So um, clearly that's a great, what if do you uh, personally have a, a favorite Kanye album or an album that you consider to be his best? Uh, no, for me, it's very situational. Just depends on how I'm feeling. Like if I'm writing, I always listen to 808. If I'm feeling like emotional, that's the one I put on. And yeah. then I'm like, this is definitely his best album. But if I'm feeling good and I'm just like driving around and it's nice out and then I'm listening to graduation and I'm like this is definitely his best album yeah you know, if I'm feeling artsy or whatever then I'll listen to fantasy and be like this is definitely his best album so just it fluctuates every time it's a different different order yeah. every time it's right and wrong <laughs> yeah I love that about him um, well, to kind of go back to something you spoke about at the beginning, you know, as hip hop continues to grow and evolve, what are some of the older albums for you that you still find yourself going back to that still feel just as powerful to you today as they did when you first heard them? I always listen to It's Dark and Hell is Hot by DMX. Mm. I always listen to Super Duper Fly by Missy Elliott. Um, you can't really call My Way by Usher a rap album. There are rap parts on it, yeah. so I'm going to include it. I always listen to to that one. Um, I always listen to 400 Degrees by Juvenile. Yes. Writing, uh, Writing Dirty by UGK. Those are the ones that if I go through, like, in my iPhone, my top 25 most played songs or whatever list, those all of those albums are going to be in there. Yeah, definitely and all great albums. I, I'm wondering as a father and someone who has kids that I'm sure are exploring their own music at this point, like how do you, what are their reactions to like when you play them old stuff, like the albums you just mentioned versus like what, I don't know what I imagine a kid today would really be into in terms of hip hop. They don't care. I mean, they, <laughs> they'll sit there. They know if I put a, a song on, it's going to come with like a three minute, um, summary of this person's career and right. life and where they were at this point and so they, like I'm sure they don't enjoy that I'm sure they don't enjoy the the school lesson that we have before a song comes on um, but as far as like just the way music sounds I don't think they're able to tell yet when the song was old or when it was when it was new I know the stuff that they like is not the stuff that I listen to all the time like that's 
song Rolex. They really, really like that song. They know the words to it. Um, I don't know any of the words to it, so they listen to whatever the kids at school are talking about. That's the only time they go hunting music down. Yeah. Well, you know, I was kind of flipping back through the rap yearbook this morning before we had this conversation, just thinking about, like, we're basically four decades into this now um, with the genre still feeling just as, as relevant and fresh as ever. You know, there's always that worry, and I, I guess there's always kind of the old guard that's like, oh, you know, it was so much better then. Um, and I'm, I, I know that that exists in hip-hop, but by and large, I feel like hip-hop as a community continues to kind of champion new artists and continue to kind of think differently, think forward about it. Um, is that something that you see? And then what do you see coming next for hip-hop in terms of how it just kind of maintains its relevancy in this way? Yeah, you definitely see that more than you do in, like, rock or whatever. Um, that's just the way that it's it's built. As far as what's next, I have... Honestly, I have no idea. I never saw Lozanne coming. I don't, I don't know who's coming after that. Right. You know? I don't know how you take that and twist it into a new thing. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having this conversation. Um, obviously, huge fan of both books. Um, if you would like to, if you've heard this conversation and you have not checked out the books, you can get both the Wrap Your Book and Basketball and Other Things. Amazon, your bookstore, Barnes & Noble, go check it out. Uh, both of them are definitely worth your time um and shay thank you for your time today having this conversation we really appreciate you coming on the podcast all right homie. thank you that's going to do it for it's all dead thank you so much for joining us today come check out our site it's all dead.com and uh be sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast on itunes your favorite podcast app and leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of It's All Dead. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the It's All Dead podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then visit us at itsalldead.com for the latest music news, reviews, and much more.